Tucker Carlson, according to The New York Times, has hired Brian Friedman, one of the top lawyers in the business who was able to secure massive settlements for actors and newscasters who have been fired while they're still in the middle of their contract. It is a game of extortion. Fox News has dirt on Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson wants what's left on his contract. And there will be, this will be interesting, there will be drip, drip, drip of embarrassing information released anonymously about Tucker Carlson until he calls his lawyer and says, fine, let's settle. That's why his own employers kept a file on him. How many dirty secrets are you willing to have revealed before you cave? We all have secrets, and nobody knows that more than Brian Friedman. That's him right there. That's Tucker's attorney. Uh, According to the New York Times this week and Insider, Brian Friedman, Tucker's attorney, paid 40 grand to make accusations that he participated in the gang rape of a 17-year-old girl while he was in college go away. He, he paid 40 grand to make accusations that he participated in the gang rape of a 17-year-old girl while he was in college to make it go away. According to the settlement, now this is the New York Times and Insider reporting on this. According to the settlement, Tucker Carlson's lawyer, Brian Friedman, insisted the 17-year-old girl consented to everything that transpired that evening. In other words, Brian Friedman, Tucker Carlson's lawyer, he wanted to place a fine distinction between gang raping a 17-year-old girl and gang banging a 17-year-old girl. In this guy's world, consensually gang banging a 17-year-old girl makes you the more honorable and innocent person. That's who Tucker Carlson hired as his attorney. Same guy hired by Don Lemon, who was just fired by CNN. Everybody who wants their money hires this guy to get it. Vin Diesel, Gabrielle Union, Kate Beckinsale, Julia Roberts, Robert Downey Jr., Quentin Tarantino, Maria Carey, Alanis Morissette, Lincoln Park. Yeah, he's a monster, but he's my monster. This is America, where contracts mean nothing. Divorce, property disputes, child custody, employment contracts, they mean nothing. Corporate lawyers work in tandem with detectives like Anthony Pelicano and the media who publishes what they want to drip into the culture. It doesn't matter what the contract says. It's what's in the manila envelope that drops in front of you with photographs. You know, the first thing my attorney asked me when my divorce started was, what does she have on you? That was the first thing I was asked. What does she have on you? You have something, everyone has something you don't want people to know, which means that contract you signed means nothing. Civil lawsuits are mostly part of the public record. If you want to collect civil damages from Donald Trump after he raped you, your entire life 
becomes an open book, either in the courtroom or splashed across the front pages of the New York Post and other gossip columns. E. Jean Carroll is pushing 80. Why should she pursue this? Why is she going after Donald Trump in this rape trial? Because there's nothing Trump can do to her that he hasn't already done. Trump knew how the game was played, and so did E. Jean Carroll. That's why she didn't pursue it. There are nearly 26 women with credible sexual assault allegations against Donald Trump. You don't want to pursue it. When E. Jean Carroll finally came forward, L fired her. She was writing over at L, the magazine. They fired her. When Stormy Daniels came forward, her life was threatened in a Las Vegas parking lot. They threatened the life of her kid. Well, when you watch this, when you read about the rape trial that's going on right now, people throw up their hands and they say, well, the world is a tough place. No, it's not. America is a tough place. We're the outlier. We reward the violent. We reward the bullies. And we punish the weak just because they're weak. You know, the other night I was taking a walk with some friends and I blurted out, history will be kind to Donald Trump. I couldn't believe I said that. And I've been trying to figure out why did I say that? Why did I say history will be kind to Donald Trump? Well, he's just a symptom of the rot. That's why history will be very kind. He's most assuredly a rapist, a con artist, a cheat, and a swindler. Conservatively speaking, he told 50,000 lies when he was our president. But history will be kind to Donald Trump because there was one truth he told. And that truth is, this is who we are. This is who America is. This is America. Take a good look at Donald Trump. This is who we are. We spend more money on weapons than the rest of the world combined. We're swimming in guns. The rich get richer while the poor get poorer. No other country is like this. History will be kind to Donald Trump because this is who we are. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. Time once again for the Hershenfelds. Dr. Philip Hershenfeld is an, an actual Freudian psychiatrist. He's the real deal. He really is. And also joining us is the brilliantly hysterical comedian and author of Today Is Now. Ethan Hershenfeld is the author Hello. of Today Is Now. It's written by Dr. Samuel Benjamin, his alter ego. It has the Feldman guarantee. Go by Today Is Now. If this book doesn't make you laugh, if it doesn't inspire and heal you, I will personally reimburse you. That is the Feldman guarantee today. Also, if it doesn't do those things for you, you're beyond help. So just <laughs> get... but before we start, I would like to say, you know, it is Friday night. Normally we're on Thursday. It's Friday right. night. And in the, in the 
in the Jewish faith, that is the Sabbath. And what we do on Friday nights is we welcome the bride of Sabbath, not to be confused with the bride of Frankenstein, <laughs> although neither has had time to get their hair done. <laughs> They're not completely distant. But, but so anyway, a good Sabbath, a restful Sabbath and a peaceful Sabbath to all to all who uh, who rest on on Friday nights, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and do they, they do call? Go ahead, doctor. I, I want to bring up. A, I'm not in general a conspiracy theorist, David, but I would like to bring up this point. Carlson out this week, Lemon out this week, and my junior colleague and I have been bumped this week from Thursday to Friday night. Do you see a pattern here? Yes. The planet's run. Yeah, I do see a pattern. Okay. Th th I was told. Yeah. Uh, well, what do you have in common with Don Lemon and Tucker Carlson? Exactly. Well, all of us, our trousers are a little too short. <laughs> and you all have contempt for David Feldman. Too much oh. ankle. Let's start with rural psychiatry. Okay. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds a year ago signed a multi-million dollar bill that would address Iowa's shortage of rural psychiatrists. So I don't know anything about farms, but there, there's a shortage of psychiatrists out on the farm. It, it evens out because in New York, we have a shortage of rural corn. <laughs> so if you average the two, both places are doing fine. If if you were transplanted, Dr. Hershenfeld, real Dr. Hershenfeld, out of New York City and dropped into rural Iowa. Right. Would the neuroses, the paranoia, the anxiety, the depression be similar to what you experience in Manhattan, or would you have to rethink some stuff? I would say, I've only been to Iowa once, <laughs> driven, driving through it at top speed. <laughs> but um, I would say that the neuroses and the psychoses and the mental illness and the anxiety and the depression are pretty much similar. But the people are very different. So that the idea, now I, I don't want to tar all Iowans with the same brush, but I think for most people in Iowa, the idea that you would come into a doctor's office and he would suggest not giving you medication, but why don't you just talk to me about your life? Or even more radical, why don't you lay down on this couch and talk to me about your life? I think that might be a stretch for a lot of these people. Whereas in Manhattan or Chicago or Los Angeles or Miami, you know, people would say, well, of course, that's... And that's so... If you're living out in the woods, a farm or suburbia far away from urban <clears throat> Jews, <clears throat> far away from uh, the city. Right. What do they have besides psychiatry 
or psychology to deal with their anger issues, their fears, their rage, anxiety? Do they have a vocabulary? Do they, can they label what they're going through? And does that suffice? It must have sufficed before Freud, right? So a hundred and... Every culture has developed ways to deal with these things. Um, One of the things you do in therapy is help a person develop a vocabulary for what he or she is experiencing. That's that's right. At the New York American Institute of Eclectic Modality Therapy, which uh, (laughs) founded by Dr. Samuel Benjamin, we say name it to tame it. Name it you to tame it. Name, name it to tame it. If you can't name it, you can't tame it. In other words, oh. before you name it, you got to name it. You don't want to tame it and then name it because then you don't know. <laughs> name it. And, and the easy mnemonic there is N comes before T. It's alphabetical. Name it and tame it. And you don't want to blame it. There's no blame no in, bl- in my work that I do. There's no blaming. And if there is, that's after the taming. But don't blame yourself. Whatever you do, don't blame yourself because it's. And this is also from my school. Don't blame yourself because it's not your fault. It's someone else's fault. <laughs> like Feldman. It's Feldman's it's fault. always my fault. For example, you hear a lot of therapists say to the, the client, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. But, you know, they, they don't take it to that final step. So then you got to find the person whose fault it is. <laughs> take, take it out. Of, that's just charging for half the job. The job is not finished. It's like Biden with his second term. Right. You got to finish the job. It's not your fault. Okay, then whose fault is it? Let's go get him. <laughs> That's when my therapy is different. You really take care of it. Now, there have been some novels where Freud and Sherlock Holmes teamed up, right? right. Yeah. Is that the plot where Sherlock Holmes helps the patients find who's to blame for all their problems? I think it was the 7% solution, right? Yeah, so that, yeah. right. And it was a movie, too. Yeah, and yeah. It was, the book was written by the son of a New York psychoanalyst. Ah, huh. That's a dig at you, Ethan, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> he's just he's what you're the subtext of that is. Why isn't today is now a movie yet? That's that. The original 7% solution was written by a waiter who kept getting bad tips. And <laughs> <laughs> was explaining to his colleagues how to get at least 10. So name it and then you can tame it. Because I can read, I remember uh, anxiety and I remember my body manifesting anxiety and then saying, wait a second, just because your body is shaking and your heart rate is going up. Maybe this isn't anxiety. Maybe you're on a treadmill. Maybe you're working out. Maybe the, and so being able to tell the and, difference. And you may be feeling all these things in your body and not be aware that it's anxiety. So it's a big help to be able to tell a person, yes, this is what you are suffering from. But in relation to your other question, all societies have developed methods to deal with mental distress. There are there are social ways of dealing it with it, religious, shamans, um, hallucinogens. There's, so, the sh- there's shopping. The shopping. shopping. Yeah. 
Yeah, what do you, Dr. Benjamin, would he prefer yep. shamans to shaming? What, 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 I, I saw your eyes light up when you heard shaman, and I figured you had something. Well, the, the joke, the, the joke <laughs> point dropped, and it was rolling towards my mouth. Um, no, um, I do want to say that, getting back to what do they have in a place like Iowa, for example, not to pick on Iowa, but everywhere between Los Angeles and New York, what do they have there in the place of uh, a therapeutic vocabulary and a and a and a, a regular hour to go do that. What they have is they have hunting, they have fishing, they have shooting, they have trapping, mm-hmm. they have hogging, they have uh, anything with, where you drop the G. They have. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about dropping the G, and then you're happy. By well, the way. By the way, colleague, you just obliterated all of David's Iowa audience. Do you recognize <laughs> that? All three uh, of them. The, the thousands yeah. of them, yes. Well, no, is- I think it is important. Again, uh, Dr. Benjamin would advocate this. It's very important, even before you go to lie on that couch, if you live in one of those uh, cosmopolitan places, it's very important to spend some time in nature. Because you can find a lot of relief and even insights just uh, enjoying the spaciousness and enjoying the, the bond that we naturally have with all other living things. And this is why most of uh, Dr. Hershenfeld's colleagues, you'll notice their offices are all along Central Park West and Fifth Avenue. It's because all those trees are there in Central Park. Mm-hmm. So the client need, they need to be able to have, spend a little time with trees right before they get onto the couch. You can't be in trees and then be in a taxi and then the couch. <laughs> Straight from the trees to the couch. That, that, yeah, otherwise you just, or trees, subway, couch. That doesn't work. It's trees, couch. Uh, that's the idea. I'm being serious here now. Okay. Puppy therapy. If you were to put a depressed or anxious person in a room with five or six puppies... You would then have a depressed person and five or six dead puppies. <laughs> <laughs> what is the healing power? Have they ever tested that? Just putting. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not joking with you right now. And I'm, I'm going to I'm going to spit some truth here. OK, David, I was 23 years ago. I was severely depressed to the point where I, 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 I needed like serious attention. And when I had the the first consultation with the doctor who was in charge there, she said to me, and it was one of the most naive, uninsightful things I've ever heard from someone with a degree. She said, and I was severely depressed to the point where I basically couldn't talk. I couldn't do anything. She said, oh, I just wish that I, I just had a golden retriever here just to come in here and lick your face. And uh, that would, and, and, you know, it's, the, the thought of that, it does nothing. It's not, it's, it was an idiotic idea and suggestion and completely useless. I mean, a non-depressed person, yeah, I couldn't, you, I, I'm not, there's no happier place for me than uh, with a puppy or with a dog. That instantly just brightens up. But if you're, if you're in a, if you're in an actual state, you know, uh, it doesn't help. That's my feeling. Now, is depression still a disease? Now that they have the chemicals to treat it, what what percentage 
what is the reduction? You know, we always talk about the bad news. Hasn't, isn't there some remarkable news in, in healing and curing depression in the past 30 years? Absolutely. And it's something we don't celebrate. It's something that we, because we're too depressed to focus on the good news. There's, isn't there good? But also be getting back to shamans and shame. Uh, it, it's still a topic that is a, a little bit not talked about in society. So I think that's one of the reasons. But we've made huge advances. But even with these huge advances, in my opinion, and, and the way I work, the medicine by itself doesn't do the whole job. Right. Right. You need to, you need you need the talk therapy. You need cognitive behavior. Is that uh, therapy? Is that what it's called? It's, that's what it's called, but that's not what I do. It's one of the things that Dr. Benjamin does. Um, uh, just because he just he Googled all the kinds of therapy <laughs> and put on the list of stuff that he does. And then a, a little bit of looking at Wikipedia entry, uh -huh. like the like first paragraph of the Wikipedia entry of each of those schools of therapy. That's why it's called the eclectic modality uh, approach. Eclectic modality just means anything he does then counts as therapy okay i was oh, and he's always been a quick learner so he just yeah. has glance at wikipedia and he knows the whole topic yeah in fact when i was getting my uh, my learner's permit i had a driver's ed teacher and by the time we got back to the school i was actually giving her a lesson <laughs> um I want to give a plug since we're talking about the the, uh, the actual curing power of animals because I don't want to uh, act as though they, they can't be therapeutic. I was at a place here in Los Angeles a few days ago. A woman I went to college with founded a place. Please look it up. It's called the Children's Ranch. I, I got a tour there and got to meet the animals. And she brings uh, young people with various challenges, developmental or maybe um, spectrum stuff or emotional stuff. And they... Uh, they come there, they learn how to take care of the animals, they connect with the animals, they hold, I, I held a chicken, I brushed the mane of a horse, and it is, honestly, just to stand next to this draft horse, not very tall, it has the hooves, like a, it looks like a Clydesdale from the ankles down, and just to actually touch this enormous, very gentle creature, I swear to God, if you had a machine on, it would show your blood pressure dropping wow. and orphans flowing. It's it is like magic. So please look up the Children's Ranch. Right. And if you make a donation, it's an incredible place. It She's is amazing one, that, that you can year. you can walk up to an animal you've never met before and touch it. And it's a wonderful thing. But in New York City, you do that to another human being. Yeah. And it's a night in Rikers. Yeah, or to or to a rat or to a rat. Yeah. Yeah. They don't, yeah. We, we have some actual questions from actual members of of our uh, audience. But I have to I have to say something. I'm observing. I, I forgot that you're in Los Angeles and I'm in Los Angeles and I've never uh, seen you. Ha I'm going to say this is terrible. Doctor real Dr. Hershenfeld. He looks great. He's upbeat. Nothing's bothering him. Because it's only 5 p.m. here. That's all. I just I get <laughs> no, are there... very moody. I get very moody at 7 p.m. You know me in New York, moody and allergic at 7 p.m. <laughs> no, there's a you have a you have a glow. You're in Los Angeles. Oh, is that getting skin cancer out here. The sun is beating down. I, I, I don't have my I don't have the hats I usually wear all summer. 
So I've just gotten an Insta tan in one week here. But this buy, is my last. Buy a damn hat. I I'll bought pay some. for it. Yeah. Buy a hat. Buy a hat. Nancy has a question. And I think this is the Nancy I know. Have we all been permanently pandemicized? I feel fundamentally changed on a daily basis by the experience. Is this age related? This is not age related. What was her name? Nancy. Nancy. Nancy, I, I hope you're hearing me. And I hope not just the ears on your head are hearing this, but I hope as well that the ears on your heart <laughs> are. And if that's if that's a certain image, all I can say, get a get a copy of Grey's Anatomy and look it up. They're in there. Now, what you're experiencing is not a pandemic situation. It's a human situation. Are we changed permanently? Yes, we are. We're all changed permanently every day just by being alive and moving through space and time in these corporeal manifestations with which we find ourselves. That's it. You're being changed all the time. And just like you changed yesterday, you're changing right now. You will change tomorrow. So don't 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 get lost in this idea. It's just a narrative you're telling yourself that there's a rut or there's a this. Would you would you benefit from going on Expedia and getting a ticket on a on an airline other than Spirit? Yes. <laughs> just, um, make I saw a photo. They're held together by duct tape. Do not fly on it. Um, maybe that was just a photo. But yes, go for a drive. Go for a walk. Touch a tree. Call someone you haven't spoken to in a while. But no, you have not been changed by the pandemic any more than you were changed by any other three years in your life. Uh, just give David your address so I can send you a bill for that. <laughs> <laughs> doctor, real, yes, doctor, real doctor. I, I, I somewhat disagree with my learned younger colleague because Yes, we are all changed and, and on a constant basis by our experience. However, when there's a major experience like 9-11, for example, or, or for example, our family many years ago was once in a uh, situation where we were attacked by Katusha rockets coming from Lebanon. And all, the way the <laughs> all the way to the Bronx. <laughs> all the way to the Bronx. And for the next year, whenever I heard a car backfire, I would jump. I mean, that, that, that's a kind of a bigger experience that affects you more. 9-11 affects us in a certain way. I, I think people who went through the great flu epidemic in 1919, they were affected by that, probably lifelong. Is so, it So a group trauma, could that be more injurious than the having the trauma by yourself? Because you've talked about mob mentality. Does a group trauma... Uh, the group trauma is is more complicated and more difficult, mostly because it's very complicated to figure out how to split the check. <laughs> I had the appetizer. So did you. But did you have a drink? Yes. But mine was an alcoholic. <laughs> that a nightmare. So, yeah. And people can be traumatized by the same Katusha rocket. Right. 
and have different symptoms from the trauma. Absolutely correct. And I think depending on the group dynamic that you are in, if it's a mutually supportive group, then it's probably easier to deal with. Right. But then groups that are not mutually supportive or blaming or right. whatever. It's your fault that this happened. Right. Right. Uh, um, let me pick up on that just for one second. Yes. Um, joking aside, this issue of blame and what role that plays in the aftermath of a diff difficult experience. I think that's a key insight and a pitfall you can avoid just by acknowledging and really, really telling yourself and believing millions of people went through this. And it's not my doing. It's not my fault. The difficulty I'm experiencing is not it's not my fault. It's a, it is an important thing to 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 take to heart. See, I don't um, understand blaming myself for anything that I don't get. Is that do all humans blame themselves? I immediately think to all, laugh. Our new, all, all normal humans do want to laugh. <laughs> You're not obviously not saying that people are blaming themselves for the pandemic, but blaming themselves for how they responded. Oh, I see. Saying, yeah. Done, I should have been more proactive. I should have come out of it quicker. I shouldn't have been fearful. I shouldn't have been this or that. You just were what you were. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Great. Uh, this is from Daniel B. Thoughts on dog diplomacy as solution to Ukraine war. Putin really loves dogs. Maybe we can gift him one. It's a nice idea. I don't think it would do any any good for anyone. I'm do sure the dog would, would live a great life. Those the if you're a dog and you're looking for an owner, I recommend a despot or a dictator. Blondie. Did you ever read Blondie's autobiography, Hitler's dog? No. Oh, I didn't know. Uh, yeah, her name uh, was Norm Blondie. Norm Macdonald had a um, a special that had a Hitler's dog in the title also. That was very funny. Oh, okay. But these guys treat their animals very well. They, they treat don't treat people very well. Is yeah. that the problem? Do you? Well, do you I actually, it goes back to what you said earlier about how you can just uh, meet an animal and suddenly have this very easy, deep connection. Because none of those concerns, when you meet another human... You have all of these concerns about, oh, how am I coming across? What do they think of me? I wonder, you know, all those questions are out the window. It's just the experience of this other really nice creature that you can have a, a con contact and you can commune with them. So, you know, you could do that with people. But again, like you said, if you do that with the wrong person, um, you could get in trouble. <laughs> there was an article online just this week, and I can't speak for it because I only know the superficial description, but it was in fact about using dogs for therapy with soldiers with PTSD. And at least they claimed that it was of great help. Yes. And, and the, uh, well, let me ask you about normal human beings and Americans, Americans obsession, America's obsession with cats and dogs. Do you think as we become lonelier and we gravitate to dogs and cats, the dogs and the cats can be the source of our loneliness? In other words, it's easier to have a cat and a dog 
than it is to have a human relationship. And more and more Americans are choosing cats and dogs over humans. That's an interesting idea. Um, I don't know. Because we... Can I tell a misogynistic joke? Please. No, Ethan's saying no. I mean, I don't subscribe to it. I just want to start with a disclaimer. Uh But I think... The disclaimer isn't helping, but, you know, (laughs) but whatever you do, make it make it brief. I think that will limit the damage. Make it brief and make it misogynistic. I don't want any false advertising here. I don't subscribe to this joke, but the joke is. Who really loves you? Let's say you lock your wife and your dog in the trunk of your car for an hour. When you open the trunk, who's going to be happy to see you? <laughs> That's a great yeah. joke. But that makes that point. Right? But what's great about it is it really is at the expense of the person telling the joke because he locked the dog and the wife mm-hmm. in the trunk. Not accidentally. He purposely put and then he's he's upset because the wife is upset. That's a great. I never heard that before. I don't know if that's misogynistic or not. Yeah, a little bit. It's not a you're 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 absolved. Um, On the subject of dogs, I had a very weird thing happen last week. I was with my friend uh, two weeks ago. I was getting on an elevator with my friend and this guy was getting off the elevator with his little white dog. This is on East 10th Street in New York. And I, I reached I sort of reached down towards his dog. It was it was one dog. I reached down and I said, oh, those are some really cute puppies. I don't know why I made them plural, but he he said it's one dog. <laughs> <laughs> like, he corrected me. It was weird. And then I was out here in Los Angeles the other day, uh, my first day here, I just had to get something to eat after the flight. And I ended up sitting alone at this pasta restaurant. And when I was done with the meal, the waiter comes up to me. This is only a few days later after the dog thing. The waiter comes to me and he says, um, how are you guys doing? You guys. I, I was alone. Yeah, he, he mistook me for plural also, as I had done to the puppy. It was right. very bizarre, but I, I let it pass. I didn't correct him. Like I said, I'm, I'm only one person here. I identify as singular. Like mm-hmm. I didn't give him a whole lecture. But anyway, that was weird. I have a, a, a I'm being serious. I'm not trying to top you. This is something that has happened in New York three times a year. This happens. I'll go, how old is she? I'll look at a dog and I'll go, oh, how old is she? And the owner goes, it's a he. <laughs> and, I go, and I go, uh, I don't see any balls there. I don't mean to get politically incorrect, but uh, does it? I'm pretty sure it's spayed and neutered. And the, uh, but they get really defensive if I get if I mislabel the gender. That because whenever I say hi to a dog or the owner, I'll say, oh, is it a he or a she? I'll immediately go to that because I know that that is a sensitivity. Why? Who cares? I know, but I've, I've, oh, by the way, do, the doctor got muted somehow. Oh, dad, you got, there you go. You're good. You're good. Yeah. It's a conspiracy. Could be. Yeah. It's Tucker Carlson. Who cares what the gender of your animal is? Yeah. Or the, or the number. It could be two females, one male. When, when the lights are out, a mouth is a mouth. 
Oh, oh I apologize. Uh, this is great. One dear Abby. I've accepted. It's I apologize. Dear Abby, I became quote unquote, quote unquote, friends with a woman recently who constantly feels the need to put me down. She criticizes my house decor, my hair, my makeup, etc. Who does this? I like to build other women up. I no longer feel good about being around her, but she's part of my larger circle. Please tell me how to handle this. This is a question that came to dear Abby. Um, the answer is, if, you, if someone is putting you down, then you put them down, but in the veterinarian. <laughs> in the veterinarian sense? In the veterinary sense, yes. Right. Have them put, no, no. No, here, here's what I would say. We are not trees. We are not trees. We, we can move. We can go elsewhere. So you don't have to be with this person. But when you are with the person, you should feel the, the strength and the integrity of, of your beliefs and your lovability to tell the person, look, you've been putting me down. I'm, I would be willing to spend time with you still, but I can't if you continue. So if you do continue in this vein, there are two choices. I will either exit or I will murder you. <laughs> that is the that's what Dear Abby said. Yeah. The important thing is to just deliver the murder thing to, very right, casually. Right. And at the end, don't start with the murder thing, because then the speech, you can't finish it. Doctor, real Dr. Hershenfeld, you want to respond? Yeah. I have a question, a follow up to uh, Ethan's suggestion. But uh, right. do, do you want to weigh in on this? Well, I, I, I want to say that uh, we're still talking about the dog issue in disguise, because among Western breeds of dogs, females fight with each other. Males don't. Males and females don't. But females and females fight. It's just what they do. So maybe that's what we were seeing in this particular situation. But now, you're not saying you're not saying that women fight with each other more than men do. Men fight with each other also. You you were just saying that there's a something in the animal kingdom that we can look at or what? Yes. Now I right. I was with a group of people last weekend and we were watching mixed martial arts with women fighting, which I find fascinating. Watching, erotic. Uh, not necessarily erotic. I just think it's okay. interesting to watch two women fight. And I blurted out. I said, uh, what's amazing is they stop fighting when the bell goes. I've never had that experience with a woman where they the fight stops and it's over. And... I was accused of being misogynistic for. Yes. And you're going to be hearing from Betty Friedan <laughs> over that. For well, sure. I, I just said, wow, they're going to stop the bell. The bell rung and they stopped fighting. I didn't know such a thing was possible. So now that I've alienated so, that, that's. Uh, but, but let me ask you this, though, and then we have to wrap it up. In the letter to Dear Abby, and this is a serious question, I want to ask the real doctor, this question, then we, uh -oh. we have to wrap it up. She says her friend is, uh, has the need to put me down. She criticizes my house decor, my hair, 
and my makeup. Who does this? People who walk into an ugly house owned by a woman who doesn't know how to fix her hair or put her makeup on properly. I mean, is there a possibility that in treating somebody, a little self-reflection, some introspection might be in order? Can a, a, a doctor say, I don't want to say anything, but the lipstick does not go on the eyebrows? Yeah, but still, we'll presume it's not that egregious. And there is something wrong with that other person who is criticizing and probably doesn't really recognize how critical they are. And when they lose friends, they're mystified. Right. I know such a person. And um, me, you know me. That's right. Okay, <laughs> All I do is criticize. I'm kidding. Well, I, I never understood the need to to criticize a friend, to point out like the obvious to them, like as though they yeah. don't know that. Yeah, that is not what friends are for. That's what family is for. <laughs> That's someone who just doesn't understand the difference. Fantastic. But, but, the, but the person who's walking around criticizing all day was probably criticized in her family in that way. And it just seems like normal meat and potatoes. Hmm. Dr. Philip Hershenfeld is a real psychiatrist, a Freudian psychiatrist. And you're going to be on a big show coming up, which we'll, we, we can talk about that next you week. Can. Keep them in suspense. Yes. Though. And okay. Ethan Hershenfeld is the author of Today Is Now, written by his alter ego, Dr. Samuel Benjamin. It has the Feldman guarantee. If you buy it, also has Dr. Benjamin guarantee on top of the Feldman guarantee, which is that buy it and then let's meet up for coffee. The coffee is on me, and the signature. I will sign your book, and I will solve any problem of your choice, be it personal or intercontinental. <laughs> How do people contact you, Ethan? Oh, go to ethanhershenfeld.com. Good luck spelling that. Right. And um, and no, watch I, Thug Thug Jew. Go watch Thug Thug Jew. Comedy special, Thug Thug Jew. It is, uh, it's still up there on YouTube, or you can download the uh, audio anywhere, uh, stream it, and uh, play it in your car. Fantastic. Great job. Thank you both. Thank Thank you. God both. bless. Bye. Thank you. Bye. That was good. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump.